Hello, Time Sliders. You're about to listen to Time is Sliding. And I'm Rob Bayliss, podcasting about change. Now let's slide on. To episode 3 of Time is Sliding. Each month I'm exploring aspects of the world that are changing over the precious time that's slippery sliding away. I interview ordinary and extraordinary people about changes in themselves, society and the environment on which we all depend. I hope you're really going to enjoy this episode as it features someone who has amazing ways of looking at the world and making change happen. Mary Clear is the chairperson of Incredible Edible Todmorden. Incredible Edible is a phenomenon that's been emulated around the world and it's sometimes described as propaganda gardening. Mary herself will elaborate on that description. Before we discuss Incredible Edible, Mary talks with passion, compassion and wisdom about the work she's involved in to support the dying. This includes helping people to have open conversations about the many aspects of death and the processes of getting there. When we move on to the subject of Incredible Edible, you'll hear about its aims, what it does and its guiding principles. One of the most important of those principles is kindness. Vegetable tourism, little libraries, doing rather than talking about doing, paralysis by fear, how to bring about change around you and in yourself, litter picking, breaking rules and taboos about eating eggs all enter the conversation. In case you've never heard of Todmorden, it's a Yorkshire market town that's very close to Lancashire physically as well as in its collective mind. It's nestled in the Calder Valley that runs through the South Pennine Hills of England and has a population of around 15,000. That's around 10,000 fewer than when it was a bustling cotton mill town during the Industrial Revolution. Now let's slide on to the conversation with Mary. I'm delighted to be having a conversation with Mary Clear, an activist who likes the saying, human salvation lies in the hands of the creatively maladjusted. 
Here's another one from her. If you don't want to do anything, just follow the rules. Mary, I was going to say, is a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts and Manufacturing, but uh, I think there's a little story behind that. She certainly was, and she was awarded the MBE in 2011. That MBE, a British honour for those who don't already know it, was for her work in the community. And she didn't buy it. And she didn't buy it. And I didn't buy it. And she didn't buy it. Right, that's important. Yes. And she's got a big cheesy <laughs> grin on her face about that one. Mary's someone who's always inspiring to listen to. Perhaps one of the main reasons is that she talks a load of sense, peppered with lots of humour. And swearing. Well, yes. I've seen a few videos of you recently and uh, I didn't hear any swearing. There no. was some, some close to it, but perhaps not. As a death doula and one of the organisers of a series of festivals called Pushing Up Daisies, she doesn't shy away from tough subjects. In fact, I think she relishes them. To me, it's so logical to be chatting with her for Time is Sliding immediately after the first two episodes in which my brother, Phil, viewed change from cancer's helter-skelter. As a dreamer, a schemer and a grandmother, Mary not only worries about the state we'll leave the planet in for the next generation, she's also an effective activist who brings about change for the better. So it feels absolutely right to me to be talking with her in the week when the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change published its scary assessment of what's in store for humanity if it doesn't change its ways. So Mary, anything you'd like to pick up on that introduction? No, crack on. Crack, crack on. on. Okay, well, let's start with Pushing Up Daisies. Can you tell the listeners what Pushing Up Daisies was because sadly it's not anymore is it yes yes uh, well it was just an idea when i was uh, training in lewis to be a death doula an end of life doula um people had to go away and do something and a lot of people's idea was go and volunteer for a hospice and i thought oh i don't fancy going to volunteer for a hospice and i don't think hospice are actually asking for loads of people to come and volunteer. So I thought we could do something creative, something that would create a conversation. And that's all we set out to do, create conversations about death and dying, about the process, about the grieving, about the experience of different people. And we thought, well, I tell you what, there's a National Dying Matters Week. We could do an event in Dying Matters and, as usual, got carried away and we thought, mm, let's take a whole week. Let's, let's do a seven-day week, all day and something in the evenings. So that's, that's what we decided to do. So essentially, we had one output, which we made for ourselves, which was create conversations and try to imagine how many people we infected, so to speak, with a conversation. 
And the other really important principle was to do the whole thing on kindness. So we had no budget whatsoever. And we That's thought, a common theme in, your, in what you do, isn't it? Yes, it is a common theme for, to make things more sustainable. So we would only um, use the artists, performers, poets, writers, craftspeople that came forward who shared our value of let's talk about this because it's healing, uplifting and good for people, but do it with kindness. So luckily, um, every successful story has got a very um, anal person behind it. And we were lucky to have Hannah, who actually was really particular about language, about brochures, about spreadsheets, about timing. That's really good because I'm rubbish at all of that. I'm more of a let's crack on and do something and take the risk. So, I mean, everybody laughed at us. You're going to have a festival of death and dying. Mm. Mm. Let's see how that goes. Oh, you've no money. Oh, it'll be really interesting to see how that goes. But I've got to say, it's one of the most fantastic experiences of my life to see how receptive people were. I remember the last year we did it, my friend who uh, is an actress in Emmerdale had been doing a dying scene and she said to me, Mary, you know the bed I was dying in? It's a real hospital bed. The Emmerdale Studios buy in a company with all this medical gear. I said, you couldn't get me a hospital bed, could you? Just for a week. <laughs> so she got the company, the, the, theater, the film set use. And they delivered a bed to the town hall. Oh, and right. I just put on it, try before you die. Because <laughs> I thought, you know, a lot of us want to die at home, but the majority of us die in a hospital bed. Mm. So I got in it with Fred and I was amazed. It fitted too. And that was my biggest fear. If I was in a hospital bed, would he be able to get in next to me? Well, I proved that can happen. Mm. And what was brilliant, there was a guy at the end of his life who came in, he said, well, I've not got long, actually, and uh, I'll give it a go. Mm. And it was just brilliant. That wasn't that, the person I know, was it? Uh, I don't think so. Steve. No, it wasn't Steve. Right. But uh, Steve did try it, too. <laughs> I bet he did. So it was, re- and then a man came in, and on the edge of the bed, there's a code number. Mm. And he read it out like a nerd, train spotter. He said, I know every model. Apparently, they're manufactured somewhere in Yorkshire. And they're all known by the insiders, by their model numbers. And yeah, it was was fascinating. Well, if you do end up in a hospital bed, it could be here, actually, because my brother died in a hospital bed at home. Yes, yes, yes. They do deliver them at home. And in fact, I've got a person now who's been in her hospital bed at home because she didn't die, Mm. partly because I fed her up a lot. (laughs) Um, And she's pimped it. It's fantastic. It's like a chaise long. She's made fitted covers for the two end pieces in the back. And she's got kind of, it's like an Ottoman queen's. And she's transformed it, which is really brilliant Mm. because there's nothing uglier than a hospital bed in your front room. Mm. But you can pimp them up lovely. Mm. I have great experience of hospital beds.
And there's a movement to say, why do they send the hospital bed home? Mm. They send the hospital bed home for the nurses, health and safety, for their backs. Mm -hmm. Whereas... Well, there was another reason for my brothers, I think. What was it? it? it Air mattress. Exactly. Yes, you can get an air mattress for any bed. Yeah. And a lot of people are saying, well... You know yourself, when you go to a hotel or a friend's house, you're dreading that uncomfortable bed, a different bed. And when you get home, you go, oh, I'm mm. back to my own bed. Mm. So you've been, dep- straight away, you're deprived of that, your own bed. Mm. So there is people challenging, saying, you know, just because a person's nursed at home, mm. they should have the dignity of their own bed. Yeah, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. You, you said that Pushing Up Daisies was initiated to, to get these conversations yes. going. That presupposes that you felt that the conversations weren't happening. The conversations definitely don't happen. Mm. I've spent two hours with someone this morning before you uh, talking in every detail about her condition mm. because as humans we've learned to shy away from anything that pains us. Mm-hmm. And another person's pain pains us. Sure. And, and society now is, uh, we want it, we want it now, and we don't want any shit, we just want sugar. Mm. And I'm afraid that's how culturally, especially culturally, for us, and the loss of religion, in, in religious terms, when the religion dominated... People did talk about death and dying. Mm. They talked about salvation. They talked about forgiveness. They talked about pearly, ga- pearly gates. They talked about seeing Auntie Lynn and Uncle Ted mm. up in heaven. We've lost that. Mm. Virtually the whole country's lost that. Um, the church has lost its grip. Heaven has lost its grip. So now what do we do? Well, we won't mention it at all. So that's what I believe. You, you cannot talk too much. Mm. Well, that's interesting. When I was talking to my brother about his cancer and uh, discussing things with him for mm. this podcast, mm. I struggled with the the conversation when it was getting a bit too close to to, mm. to comfort. And I, I I I kind of said, "I'm sorry." I can't remember the exact words, but I, along the lines of, I'm, I, "I hope I didn't upset you by talking, bringing up this mm. subject." And then we, we had a bit of a joke, you know. He said, well, uh, I won't talk about it then. And I said, I don't want you just to hide your feelings about it. And he said, oh, well, I will talk about it. <laughs> and then, you know, mm. it, it got a bit convoluted because mm. we weren't mm. sure whether we could talk mm. about it mm. together. Mm. This is a brother I've known for a long time, <laughs> yes. obviously, um, or not. Mm. But um, it, was, mm. it was a good conversation, I think. Mm. But mm. Uh, it exposed probably my uh, deficiencies in being able to talk about it. But as a society, we need to... to, We've we've created the most oppressive language Mm. about fighting. If Mm. you've got rheumatoid arthritis, no Mm. one says... And that's such a painful, wicked condition, Mm. life-altering condition. Nobody says, oh, they're fighting... Mm. Uh, or they've lost the fight, but mm. we've added, to, we've at, we've made a pecking order of illnesses and glamour. Mm. Mm. We've glamorised um, medicine, glamorised doctors, and it's in a huge mess now. A, mm. a huge mess. 
of uh, in terms of battles and winning and being a hero or mm. not a hero. Are you a loser then if your cancer comes back five years later? Mm-hmm. You know, people should stop and think about their language. Well, I like to to um, to use. Um, I think I probably picked it up from Steve. Really, if I, if he didn't actually say it, it certainly Steve certainly mm. uh, inspired me with it. Which is, it's a relationship with cancer rather mm. than a battle or mm. Or, mm. or whatever mm. else. Because mm. I think that that's more the case. I mean, it, particularly with him mm. over mm. an eight year period. Mm. You know, it was like it, it actually he he was grateful for that. Mm. Um, cancer, bizarrely, mm. because he had a relationship with it. Mm. Yeah. Can I take you back to, you mentioned death doula. Yes. Many people won't know what a death doula is. Oh, I'll give it to you short. A death doula, doula is Greek for the word companion. So we have a birth doula. Well, when I say we, um, those with money and the inclination will have a birth doula who's not their mum, mum-in-law or partner. It's someone hired. There's normally a monetary exchange to do that job. And um, for dying, we have the End of Life Doulas UK, which is a national, um, fully insured, regulated organisation. So you can actually acquire a doula to be a companion and that role is a non-medical role. That role is about, it's not about booking tickets to Switzerland. You know, someone else will have to book your tickets if you want to go there. It is about all of the things. It's a person-centred role. It might be walking the dog. It might be managing all the visitors. It might be working out the funeral or what you would like to happen and being an absolute advocate for the person. I trained with that organisation, uh, End of Life Doulas UK, which is fabulous. I'll put a reference to that at the, yes, in the yes. episode notes. It's really, really fantastic. But um, I chose, because that's the way I was born, I chose to be a different... I'm more interested in love and community. So the idea of monetizing a person's pain and distress to me just doesn't sit well. I so, was thinking that in my mind, you know, yeah. I said, I wonder whether uh, Mary gets paid for it. It doesn't seem like Mary to me. Um, so I, I, I don't want to insult my colleagues. That's their choice. It's their personal choice. It's not a choice I could make. Mm. And I believe um, what I'm doing which is making myself open to anyone in this community. And uh, some some of the people can be quite obnoxious. Uh, I don't have to like them or love them. Is all I have to do is be that be what they need in that moment. So I'm from the school of a radical community death doula. So and also when the monetarized doula steps in, it's often Right at the end, well, guess what? You can never tell when the end is. Mm. I'm with people now three, four years as a constant when they were meant to die and didn't die. Mm. And for some people, they're close to death very often. They can be close to death from enormous seizures that leave them in hospital for days on end 
they could be okay for six months. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a people have a lot of needs, and the fear of death is, um, to me, is uh, I'm happy to spend hours and hours and hours with someone who fears death. Because if you fear death, you can't live. You're not living. Mm. So I always say every day above ground is a blessing. We're all on the same path and we could be a lot more helpful to each other Mm. on that path Mm. because we're going the same way, every single one of us. Oh, did you know I'm in the Science Museum in London? I didn't know. For 20 years. So they have opened a new wing. It costs millions and millions and millions. It is called, I think it's called the Medicine Wing of the Science Museum. Mm. And there's, they took our portraits and voices and it's, you sit on a bench and there's a telephone and you can look up each person, hold the telephone. And there's me talking about being a community death doula. But the weird thing was... You had to sign because new exhibits have to last for 20 or 25 years. I thought, isn't that fantastic? I might be dead. And my kids will be able to go and listen to mum rattling Mm. on Mm. in the Science Museum. Yes. Mm. Well, they'll be able to listen to this. I mean, there's so many videos and and recordings of you anyhow. So, uh, yes, it would be great in the Science Museum. But uh, you're not a person that's not recorded. The death our organization yeah, they yeah. featured uh and featured someone dying on the same you know you could listen to someone dying um yeah it's great it's mm. great they really it was fantastic what you did with pushing up daisies was brilliant why did it stop uh because the other two people who uh are really into the planning side of it i think hannah's had two babies since and i don't know they just they're just not up for it because mm. there is a huge amount of work. Oh, I know, yes. And I don't know. But I, luckily for me, I, I've got so many people at the moment in with death-related issues or great poorliness that when I'm not making potions for them or mm. cough mixture or finding the right food, so mm. it, in a way it's great because I'm really busy. But I tell you what has happened as well. The beautiful thing for me is I don't have to care alone for people. I've got a whole network of people who are in pushing up daisies Mm. that I can say, I can't meet X, Y and Z and take them food this week. Could you do it? Or I can't get them for their first round of chemo. And so we've got a whole network of people who say, just say the word. Wow. And I'll help. That love and kindness, kindness is contagious. Mm. And when money doesn't step in the door, another piece of magic happens. And people say, well, how do you know her? They say, we don't know her. But she said she'd do it. So magic happens then because people think they have to look, think about themselves and what would they do for a stranger? So I think it... Um, to have a radical attitude is also to recognise it's powerful. Well, I mean, you've you've promoted kindness around Todmorden very well, haven't you? I mean, there's mm. there's uh, signs about mm. kindness. 
uh, in various places mm. that uh, mm. I think, I mean, it looks like Hollywood in a way, but with ki kindness. Signs, it is the Hollywood it? font, actually. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. downloadable free. There's uh, one on the main road into Todmorden, isn't mm. there? Halifax Road. And one on the way out, yes. Yeah, and one at, um, the, is that the one you're thinking of at the supermarket that we won't give a plug to? Uh, yes, yes, and then we've got a bake up road, a huge mill with a right. kind yes, of. Yes, I remember it. that, yes. yes. And then I do laugh because every now and again in my Facebook feed, there's about an organisation who've monetarised kindness. Oh. You know, come on a kindness course. Oh, right. And, yeah. you know, or a writer about kindness. Well, my new book's all about kindness. And I, I do have a little secret laugh to myself mm. about that. But kindness comes out in a book that a friend of mine who lives quite close gave me recently called Humankind by Rutger Bregman. Have you come across it? No. It's, it's an interesting read because it's sort of arguing against the received belief that everyone's basically naughty. Oh, no, I... No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, yes. It's arguing against that and yes. saying basically humankind is actually... Very kind, yes. if given the opportunity. We're hardwired for kindness yeah. and yeah. hospitality yeah. and generosity yeah. and mercy. Mm. We're not hardwired to kill people, bomb people and mm. be mean. Mm. Um, something goes wrong along the way. We've got this far without talking about probably one of your most famous uh achievements haven't we you know what i'm talking about incredible edible incredible edible and i meant to mention that in the in the in fact i said well, the epicenter of incredible edible it, but i didn't say what it was what is incredible edible um it, it loosely well i can only say what it is for me in this town as i'm the chairperson and a chairperson's role is to uh, lead from the front your your group. And for us, it's about growing food in public places, sharing that food. It's about kindness. It's about attention to the birds, the bees, the bugs, the soil, which is, you know, our greatest resource on the planet that's being ruined every day. And it's about kindness and people. Often, people think it's about horticulture. Well, the truth is, we didn't, couldn't give a tinker's cuss about horticulture. None of us are horticulturalists. We're about the other. We're about silence. We're about education. We're about um, eating good food. So, our Sunday, which is this Sunday, our gardening Sunday, we'll have people because we're particularly interested in recovery. And when we use the word recovery, that's alcohol, drugs, or anything that people are recovering from. So we've got a lot of people on the wobbly side of life who will come. We've got people who's got no language ability at all. And we've got people who live in a supported living. And then we've got teachers, ex-BBC executives. We've got a complete mix because that is what makes community. That's why people come. So that when they move, often when people come here, 
I've had a phone call today from a woman from Norfolk. My daughter's moving to your town. Can we come on Sunday and she'll get to meet people? Mm -hmm. So it's about a mix of people being together. Mm. And at the same time, we'll pick up dog shit. We clean the town. We, we don't... We don't say, oh, we're incredible edible. If we're not picking raspberries, we can't pick up muck off the floor. Mm. So we we clean the town. If there's a bench or something needs fixing, we'll fix it. So it's about saying, be the change. If you don't like the way something looks. So recently, we didn't like the way a bridge was looking. There were some panels missing. So we found an artist measured up the bridge, got the wood, sent it to the artist. She painted the most incredible paintings and we just screwed it into the bridge. Now, great. Everyone says it's lovely. Has anyone noticed? Have we gone to prison or been arrested for interfering with bridges? I don't think so. Mm. I don't think that's going to happen. So we do good things. Mm. At the moment, we're just in week one of a four-week refugee play scheme. So uh, we've survived this week, which is really good. So, And that's just feeding people, entertaining the families and providing the things those refugees need. So we're continually looking at where can we be helpful. That idea of kindness, doing not talking doing, not reading books, writing reams of stuff and just cracking on, action-based um, radicalism um, has inspired people all over the world. So mm. people come here and they look at what we're doing and we say, just because we have made a decision not to take public grants or public money, that doesn't mean to say you have to do what we do. You... We don't make a judgment on how other people run their areas. We just believe to be, we are completely financially self-sufficient. And we believe by being self-sufficient, we can last longer. And my gosh, look, we're right, 13 yeah. years old. 13. This year, yes. Mm. So, and we've got plenty of money. We, we earn money from vegetable tourism. <laughs> Obviously, not during COVID, but we mm. have been blessed. For those who don't know, what is vegetable tourism? So uh, people, uh, along, it has to match our values. So we were showing people around. We were exhausted. People come from all over the world. Oh, can we come and look at your garden? So we thought, ah, let's make a map and a route mm. and make that route near shops so that £2.60, ka-ching, someone's a little business. It's a cup of coffee. Oh, a loaf of bread at the baker's, another £2 X. So we would help the local economy and also demonstrate some of our lovely uh, artworks or, or whatever we're growing. So we made, we said, look, let's try and make money out of this. So our application form says, I think it's £6 for a tour. You could either book a tour and pay us £6 but if you don't want to pay us, you can book the tour anyway. <laughs> and 90% of people pay us, mm, which mm. is really lovely. So yeah, yeah. that's what vegetable tourism is. Mm, mm. And then we gave 
I think we were seen as the odd bods of the town for many, many years. I think you still are by some people. But, oh, I'm, oh, I'm sure. But mm. when I go past the tourist information and I see kindness in the window carved yeah. in wood and, at an incredible cost mm. and I see our map in there, mm. I just think, to me, I've made it in life. Well, you have. You put Todmorden on the map. In, in many ways, haven't you? I, I mean, you've had put... people from from Japan and China, haven't yes, you? Yes, yes. Actually, was it China or other parts of Asia? I know Japan, uh, definitely. Uh, um, Japan and Singapore mm. and Malaysia. Mm. But I decided not to travel some time ago. So uh, the others have been travelling, so I, I don't take any notice of where they go. <laughs> <laughs> so people can uh, ask. They pay the travel and they pay, I don't know, 100 quid, 200 quid, and someone will go abroad. Gig, who is a local Thai... Oh, someone from t t uh, Incredible Edible yes. will go abroad. Yes, yes. Oh, I, I thought yes. these people came here. Oh, they do, but also we earn money by going, uh, going to Japan, go, oh, travelling right. abroad. Okay. In fact... Sorry, what were you going to say about Gig and explain so, who she is? So Gig is a very beautiful, incredible, uh, crazy person the landlady of our most famous pub, but she's also on our board of directors. And she went to do a talk in a country, which I think was maybe Malaysia or Singapore, maybe. And it was, it was hilarious. People said, Mary, we don't understand what she's saying a lot of the time. They won't understand. I said, yeah, but we won't be there, so we won't know. <laughs> and you can convey, I really believe this, you can convey what's in your heart with two things, with pictures and just your 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 being. Yeah. You know, I did a, a Skype with Russia this year and the, the Russian embassy paid £100, actually, and I thought it was not a Skype, a Zoom. It was just the people on the screen, 12 people. It was three and a half thousand people. Oh, right. and I just thought, who would think that A, they'd understand me rabbiting on, or B, they'd be interested. Mm. But apparently we have a huge fan club in Russia. No, that's what, so excellent. when they said they very much want to build some program of sending people, from Russia to Todmorden. I think it's like romantic Russia mm. to Todmorden. Yeah. So we'll see. One of the things that you've said in the past, that your gardening is not guerrilla gardening. Yes. It's propaganda gardening. Yes. I love that phrase. Well, I lo love mm -hmm. the concept. It's not a phrase, but I love yes. what you said Yes, there. because guerrilla gardening is so macho, isn't it? It's war. I, I don't think guerrillas in the mist with a marigold... I think of the word gorilla, balaclava, secretive. We're absolutely open mm. uh, about what we do. And it is propaganda because we don't produce any leaflets. We, we're obsessive about waste and frugal with our resources. So we don't produce any of those things. What you see outside there in our gardens is us. Mm. So if they're fruiting a lot, which they are at the moment, means it's been a good year for us. Mm. If they're scraggly, it means, you know, maybe we've, we need some more volunteers who know about horticulture. Mm. 
Well, I think what we haven't talked about is actually what you do. You, you said that food is not the main thing that you're doing. It's, it's about spreading this kindness. Mm -hmm. But actually, it's, it's important to know for, for people mm -hmm. listening to mm -hmm. this that, that actually what you're doing is finding patches of land mm -hmm. in the town that mm. are not being used, mm. who, regardless of who owns them. Mm. Am I mm. right there so you far? Are, you are. Regardless of who owns them, and you start planting things in there, mm. edible things, mm. that people can then take. Mm. And it, I, I was saying to my mother this morning, I said, uh, I'm, I'm going to mm. talk to, uh, to someone about Incredible Edible, and, uh, and I mm. gave a brief explanation as to, to what mm. you do. Mm. And she said... Now, doesn't anyone stop them taking the food? You know, um, I said, no, no, it's, it's free to take. Um, mm. People take as much as they want or need. Mm. Mm. I, am I getting this right? Absolutely, right. absolutely. And that, honestly, I can't tell you how much my heart sings. When I go out and I see someone picking gooseberries, raspberries, strawberries, or I saw a, a, a lovely... Uh, Asian lady the other day standing because we don't like to stand on the soil she was standing right in the middle of the bed and my first instinct was to say oi don't stand on the soil but she was just harvesting onions and I thought because the worst thing that could happen would that people wouldn't pick the vegetables mm. and that was in the you know 10 years ago it's a we're a keep off my land country that's mm. the culture of the british people mm. our home is our castle don't walk on the grass and we're saying the opposite help yourself yeah it's like mm. the little libraries you know at first people uh, snuck up to a little library um, i'm sorry i'm going to stop you there mary yes explain what the little libraries are before you talk oh, about okay that. the little libraries during lockdown we had a lot more men hadn't got anything to do and books, the library was closed and we thought we'll, we'll make a little wooden library. And we made the first one and then a guy made a hugely ornate one copying some stained glass window design. Then a guy made a, a monument that opened up. And before we knew it, I think we have most probably got more little libraries per head than anywhere in the whole world. Mm. We've got them on the estates, we've got them for children. Every school in Todmorden has got a bespoke, so they're little wooden cabinets painted by artists. Oh my God, some of them are so beautiful. Can you point me to one that I can take a photograph of uh, that, that, that you think exemplifies it, that I can then put in the blog that goes with this? Yes. Absolutely. Mm. And uh, I just want to say one quick thing about the one you're going to photograph. Mm. So these people said there's a derelict um, bit of land near us with an old rusty play barge in it covered in prickles. Is cuckoo, that the time? The cuckoo clock. All ah, right. Yes. <laughs> um, can we have a little library? I said, certainly you can. And seeing is believing. You have to take photographs. Those two people, I've never met them in my life. They have cleaned it. There is a little library. The play barge is painted and painted with roses, repainted. The whole area is landscaped. There's picnic benches. But this is the incredible thing. 
there's toys, there's bikes, there's water for dogs, there's toys everywhere and children go down, play with the toys and then stack them all away on the boat afterwards. Mm. Completely open to the public, 24-7, no vandalism whatsoever. It's That's amazing. Lovely. It's it's made a community space. Mm. Some old books, boom. Excellent. You haven't mentioned the police station yet. Oh, police station is lovely. Mm. Uh, and Oh, we have a little library at the police station. Right. It's um, got a fingerprint on the door, a bullet hole in the side, and it's just <laughs> crime books. And that's right in front of the police station, screwed on to our amazing vegetable beds. We've got some. And the police, in fact, they awarded us some police award because they love it. They love having vegetables outside mm. because there would be a judgment when you walk onto their land. Oh, have they coming to give their driving license in? Mm. Or are they coming to get some parsley? Mm. You know, no, nobody knows. Mm. Mm. Are they ringing the doorbell of the police station because they want a watering can? Mm. Or are they ringing because someone's just given them a black eye? You know, it's mashed it all up. That's lovely. It, it is lovely. One of the quotes you gave is food, a Trojan horse for a kinder world. Well, we just, we chose food because, let's face it, it cuts, we all do it. Mm. So our membership is, if you eat, you're in. So technically, you know, people <laughs> say, can we join? Well, do you eat? Yeah, well, you're in. So we're all in. Mm. And also, it cuts across culture, class, age and creed. Everybody in every culture knows something special about food. Mm. We use it to celebrate the birth of a baby. We use it to um, mourn the passing of people. We eat pork pies, apparently. Apparently, um, as a non-meat eater, I won't be eating a pork pie when someone dies. But apparently, that's what you should give people. Oh, really? uh, there's, there's, it's a common language mm. and it's a common joy because we meet twice a month and garden for two hours but let me tell you the food we eat afterwards is the glue food is absolutely the glue mm. that makes the difference everyone eats together a fantastic meal you class yourself as an activist mm. what what other activist activities do you do or, or or have we talked about them all well there you go i don't i think just being alive uh and having the ability uh not to go to work i've got 13 grandchildren and it's all i can do is work hard every single day to be the change i want to see because this planet has been screwed up by my generation, and I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed of people my age who sit around and talk about their cruises, talk about their holidays, talk about their flights, and I think we had it all, we had cheap international travel, we had thousands more anim thousands of more animals, butterflies, bugs, the decline in species, the decline, the global warming of the planet. You know, we've so much to be sorry. Our free education, the ability to get on the housing ladder, all that has gone in our lifetime. And I am deeply ashamed of that.
mm. deeply and I want to make amends as much as I can. Mm. So in everything I do, I think about what I buy, what I eat. Every moment of the day, I'm thinking, we're so blessed, we're so lucky. We've had it all, yeah. and it's going to be tough. Sadly, I, I couldn't agree with you more. So what happens to a lot of groups, um, I malign this group a lot, but I'm going to say it, do it again. The transition movement. There's a lot of heavy talk about um, what's happening to the planet. And if you talk too much, you will be paralysed. Mm. Fear paralyses people. Mm. Um, I have a committee meeting next week. Um, we'll meet. We'll have lovely food. We'll be in beautiful surroundings and we'll have an hour. Bob, that's it. We'll work out what we're doing and we can do it. Mm. Too much thinking and you have to stay positive you and i think what people want is is actions to be clear mm. on their actions it's like plastic i have to rant on about this because i it drives me crackers uh, we were putting in a new seat for the nurses at the doctors and it's recycled plastic and someone said oh you, sh you shouldn't be using that plastic mm. i said hang on a minute the plastic's here. We need to use what we... We don't strip everything out of our house and run off to John Lewis and buy bamboo fittings. Mm. This is just ridiculous. So people have got all mixed up. Yeah, yeah. The messages are complex and difficult. Mm. So, yeah, I think every day you've just got to work out what's the right thing to do. So have you got any recommendations for activists who want to bring about change? Yes, don't think about it too much or you'll just go back to bed. <laughs> don't think about it. Just uh, Yes, I would say small is beautiful. People say, How many? but I've only got three people. Three people. Three people who want to work mm. is worth... Oh, 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 I'm trying not to say the word... 20 people who are contracted mm. who don't want to work who are looking at their watch going when, when am I going to clock off the amount of work three people can do is incredible yeah so small is beautiful mm. and the idea uh, when people see me bending down in the street picking up beer bottles or or face masks which is what I pick up now yeah yeah uh, I know that when they first think that, whoa, she's going to get a dirty mask on the street, then they see I'm going to a bin. Mm. Um, I used to be embarrassed about doing it. I'm not embarrassed anymore because I think, do you know what? That person will have felt embarrassed to pick up someone else's rubbish. Mm. And I feel really proud that people will see me pick up rubbish mm. because that in itself, I think, is a political statement. It's it saying this is our street so let's clean it up let's not be victims of cuts or covid mm. let's let's be our own agent of change yeah the litter issue always seems a bit trivial in some mm. respects mm. but on the other hand it's it I, I feel it's quite a symptom of of a wider malaise mm. i struggle with the amount of litter that mm. i see around here mm. actually and it's just extraordinary what people mm. do 
It is extraordinary. Yeah. But it's also extraordinary what great fun it is getting those litter pickers. Yeah, yeah, you know, well, I bought and, some of those. And you feel great. Mm. And there's so many litter picking groups in this town now, it's almost a bit competitive. <laughs> it's really great. Yeah. Yeah. At this point in the conversation, my recording equipment started making some strange noises. So I had to revert to a less sophisticated method of capturing Mary's words. You're about to hear how the sound quality and acoustics changed, and not for the better. I've still included it because Mary gives us her refreshing perspectives on complying with some rules and not others. I love your philosophy about not complying mm. with the rules. Um, well, some of the rules. <laughs> right, yeah, because your philosophy is about bypassing the rules, where they, they hold back yes positive things yes yes but uh, i i'd love to hear what you've got to think about complying with rules that are there to safeguard the environment say mm. well um some people uh, and we've been lobbied many times to support various schools of thought organic permaculture versus doctor hoo-ha you know, various schools of thoughts about growing. Mm. So what we chose to do is to support none of them, but we ourselves don't use any chemicals, any peat. You know, we, we know what's right for the planet, mm. but we choose not to talk about that because we want to encourage everybody mm. to grow food themselves. So we think... If we don't bang in the drum about something, they'll find their own way. You know, a man who can't read and write with in, can scratch the soil in a, a hot, arid country and grow something. You know, he doesn't need anyone to preach what, what to do. Mm. So I think uh, we're very good like that, that we don't take a, a stand and we don't run around and say we're environmentalists. But our, so we even have a procurement policy, how we spend money. Mm. So although on the surface it would look like, oh, these are all very laid back characters. Well, actually, because we're frugal, you know, like we try to buy um, food that's out of date to save landfill. Yeah. We've got an out of date food scheme running in the town. We, we like local procurement. We had to have a row once with somebody who wanted to order online. And we said, well, you can get it in town. They said, oh, well, it costs more. Well, we don't care it costs more. Mm. We'll, we'll have it locally. Mm. Yeah. So we've got our own set of rules. And the rules that we're not interested in are really, I'm sorry to say, as an ex-council officer, the local authorities' unspoken rule of decay. So there is no money so nothing can be fixed. And we say money is never a problem. So, for instance, the outside of the town hall had the most beautiful planters, unplanted, rotting. And I said, get a lorry, put them on the lorry, bring them to our yard. And we repaired them all mm. and gave them back. Mm. But if the council, that was done slightly, you know, <laughs> wink, wink. If the council were to do that, they would have had to have an assessment three prices, a budget. You know, 
And those rules of block progress, instead of saying to partners, mm. you know, could you fix this stuff for us? Yeah. We, we are not the group that would say, hey, we're taxpayers, we're not going to fix the environment for you. We'd say, yes, we'd love to. Right. So it's not about um, skirting all rules. You think Absolutely. some rules are important. Yes. But when they're petty rules, shall yes. we say, yes. they're, they're, yes. they're the ones that we... Yes. We should uh, yes, and we shouldn't use rules as a as a shelter yes. for not doing something. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. or yeah. health and safety for mm. that matter. You I know, mean, health and safety is important, though, isn't well, it? Health and safety is important, but it's gone. It goes too far. You mm. know, people say, "I don't know how you can be growing stuff so close to the road. A dog might piss on it." Well. In a field, there might be a dog, a badger. A farmer doesn't have a toilet when he visits a field. A crow, a goat, a cow. You know, you should do with food by the roadside as food in the supermarket. Wash it. You know, the whole we've we've lost touch to that degree that we don't believe it's going to be urinated on in a field. And then you get cars. And I'm not a driver, but I do know about catalytic converters. So say, oh, lead poisoning. Oh, really? What do you see on either side of the motorway? It's normally where our crops are grown. Field mm. after field of rape and crops mm. across this whole country. It's normally got a motorway in the middle. Mm. Do we ever say, oh, I can't eat there. Wheat's too near the M6 or something. We don't, do we? Mm. It's just silly. You know, We've this is why far. I wanted to interview, because you have such a unique way of looking at things. Unscientific. <laughs> it may be unscientific, mm. Mary, mm. but you, you, mm. you, you think in a way mm. that is challenging mm. and so right. I love it. Mm. Oh, good. Yeah, I love it. Good. I really do. But I do actually think, once you say sensible things mm. about motorways and wheat and mm. whatever, most people go... Yeah, you're right. You it's are. just we're disconnected. Yeah. Uh, an Irishman, this is 12 years ago, he read about Incredible Edible in Northern Ireland and he wanted to set up a project. And he came and knocked on the door, two of them, out of the blue. Mm. And they had nowhere to stay. I said, oh, you'll have to sleep here. And the next morning, it was when I had my my chickens and my lovely cockerel napoleon before i was a vegetarian and uh, i i made them some eggs and he said to me did i hear a cockerel outside i said yes that's napoleon did he disturb you he said no but we can't eat those eggs mm. i said why not he said if there's been a cockerel you cannot eat the eggs and i thought wow so I thought, maybe I'd grown up all wrong. Mm. But it was just some fanciful, incredible idea that a chicken's egg couldn't be eaten when they were laid, when a cockerel might have perchanced on that chicken. Mm. I thought that was amazing. I was really shocked by people's naivety. Do you know, I think I'm being a bit naive here. I mean, I know that, you, that, that, that people who eat eggs, and I'm not one of them, mm. um, well, in, well, in the past, I don't know about in the present, because mm. I think everything comes out of a box mm. from the supermarket mm. these days, but in the past, they used to be concerned about having an egg 
that was fertilised. Now, I presume that's what you're talking about with yes, the cock. Yes, yes, but if but you what, what, in your own garden, they could, you know, they, they they've been laid well be that first. day. Yes, yeah. they most probably are. Yeah. But there's no visible symptom. There's no sign of that. I'm, I'm now beginning to get it. Yeah. Because... Was it because they were Irish and Catholic? And, yes. And yes. The, the, it was about the yes. right for life and the yes. abortion yes. and all that kind yes. of thing. Yes. It was all tied up in all of that. Ah, right, right. It was right. really Sorry, incredible. I'm slow sometimes. No, it, no, I, I was thinking, gosh. And then another time. Um, so who was being naive then? You or them? Um, well, me to their cultural uh, right. upbringing. Because I, I was thinking you were saying they were naive. Well,. Well, in a way, I, I was just completely... I didn't know how to address it. Mm. And then another time someone said to me about a chicken. Someone said, oh, is it chicken egg? Where does the egg come from? And they said, oh, it comes out of the egg hole. <laughs> I said, no, the poo and the egg. You know, it's all coming out of the set. They were horrified. <laughs> Absolutely horrified. Well, Mary, thank you ever so much indeed. A pleasure. You have been, um, as always, exciting, illuminating and fun to be with. And not boring. And certainly not boring. Great, great. You're never boring. Good. Could I have too short to be boring? Yeah. That's great. So thank you ever so much, Mary. Pleasure. I hope you agree that it was worth keeping that section of the discussion. I did have to edit out a more unlistenable section of talk, jumbled up with weird sounds before I spotted the problem. I'd asked Mary to recommend some actions that listeners to Time Is Sliding could take in their own lives. I don't want you to miss out on what she said, so you'll have to put up with me reading what she said. Here goes. Acknowledge that every day above ground is a blessing and be joyous. The very fact that you've woken up, out of bed and you're free. We should recognise how lucky we are. We should stop being victims of the state of global warming, although we are victims of it. We should turn around that anger, that crossness and that confusion. Turn it into something positive. Go and plant flowers for the bees. Clean up a bus stop. Pick a bit of litter up. Do those small things and next time you're with friends, plan something crazy. Just say, shall we go out and repaint that bench? because the prisons are full in the whole country and the rest of the world. No one's going to go to prison for making something beautiful. They really won't. So we should be the change, and then it'll catch on.
that's almost it for the third episode of the Time is Sliding podcast, featuring a discussion about change with Mary Clear, activist, dreamer, schemer, grandmother, death doula, and chairperson of Incredible Edible Todmorden. Thanks to you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I also hope that you've gained unique insights into attitudes and communications about death and dying, about making change happen, and about how food can be used as a Trojan horse to inject kindness into your world. Of course, an extra special thanks to Mary. It has been both enlightening and fun. Thank you so much for taking a break from the wonderful things you do, Mary. As usual, I've put some further information and links in the episode notes and blog on the Time Is Sliding website. That's timeissliding, all one word, dot earth. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast or follow it by your podcast platform of choice. That way, you'll receive future episodes automatically. Please also give it a good rating and or review if you like it. That will help other people discover time is sliding. I'll end with just one short quote. It's the powerful voice of youth directed at everyone, but especially those whose actions do not match their words when it comes to climate change. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. That was said by Greta Thunberg when speaking at the United Nations Climate Change Action Summit in 2019. She was aged just 16 at the time. I'm Rob Bayliss, host of Time is Sliding. For better or worse, all production work has been by me. I hope you'll join me again for more episodes. Until then, au revoir. Zajen. Namaste. Arrivederci. Sayonara. Adios. Dovidzenia. Down. Now, let's all try and bring some more kindness into what we do and say. <laughs>